Would you open your Bibles tonight to the book of Colossians as we continue our study of Colossians? Let's dig right in. And tonight what I have to share with you is real simple. There's not going to be anything I'm going to share with you tonight that's going to be too crazy. <laughs> that's what we say, right? Um, it, there, you know, the simplest things are the most powerful things in the scripture. And so I want you to open up not just your Bibles, but open up your hearts. Let's let God speak to us through this. We're going to go back to Colossians 3. And, and, and you know, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about uh, Colossians 3 talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. He's talking to believers who have been made new, who have been recreated in Christ, all right? So this is the reality now. They're new people. And yet he says, you've got to put off the old self. You've got to choose to put that away. You put that aside. Which means that even though you're born again, even though you uh, have been taught of the Lord, even though you, you, you may know God and you may have known him for many years, you still have to make the choice that I'm going to live as a new creation in Christ. That I'm going to put that on and I'm going to put something else off. In a society, in a culture where everything we feel is valid, Everything, every emotion we have, we kind of say, if I feel it, it's real. If it's real, then I, I can't, you can't tell me not to feel that way. You can't tell me not to act that way. Well, he's telling us as believers that our reality is different. That we, we will feel sometimes more than one thing. Sometimes you're going to feel that pull between the old self and the new self who you are in Christ. And by faith, you've got to choose. I'm a new creation. You've got to say, that's my reality. So I'll put this old stuff away. I'm going to put the corpse over here, and I'm going to, I'm going to put on the new self. I'm going to put on Christ. Romans 8 says, put on Christ. Not Romans 8, but in Romans it says, put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Yeah. So in Colossians 3, picking up from that, drawing from that, of course, we went through, and, and he talks about how there's no distinction between Greek or Jew, between slave or free. He, he basically wipes out any distinction we would make based on the flesh, based on how we grew up, based on where we came from. Anything that you thought made you special or less than special. Anything you thought made you worthy or unworthy. We, we lay all those things at Jesus' feet. We lay them all at the cross, and we say there's one thing that makes us all worthy together that makes us all valuable together, that it makes us all included and defined in Christ. And that is Christ himself. So in Colossians 3, let's pick up with where we left off. So leaving that distinction behind, I'm going to pick up once again in verse, 15, uh, verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That last sentence is what we're going to spend all of our time talking about tonight. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed. So, you know, sometimes we just say, well, it's, it's not what you say, it's what you do that matters. But here he's saying they both matter. They're both important. Whatever you do 
So what I say is I'm doing something when I'm saying something, and I'm doing something when I'm acting something out. So he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, maybe you kind of were raised in Christianity to, to think of uh, in the name of Jesus was the punctuation at the end of a prayer. That was the, that's how you know we're done. Oh, we're almost done. We didn't say amen yet. In Jesus' name, amen, right? Okay. So then maybe you came to a church that's a little bit different, and you, you didn't just pray over your food. You prayed for other things. And, and, and then they're doing things like laying hands on people, which is a little bit spooky at first, but okay. And they say, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying over you in the name of Jesus. We go, oh, okay. So that's like an abracadabra. Like when I put that on something, then, then it works, right? Like if I just were to say, be healed, nothing would happen. But if I say, hey, be healed in the name of Jesus, boom, open sesame, something changed. So here's the deal. I believe that we should pray, even when you're praying for your food or you're praying for your neighbor. And all these things, when we pray, when we, when we do what Jesus commanded us to do, we should say in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. However, let me give you some examples. In the book of Acts, Peter and John saw that man at the gate of the temple, and they said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we're going to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, right? And the guy got up, and they were questioned about it, and they said, by what name or by whose authority did you heal this guy? Which is it's a crazy question. They're not concerned that a paralyzed guy that they all knew was paralyzed is walking. They want to, they want to see the receipt, how to get done. You know, that's the real issue. We don't care that he's walking around. I want to know who gave you permission to heal this man. If only we had such problems today, right? Ah, uh, we know that this guy's healed, but who said you could heal him, you know? So they want to know how they did it. And, and Peter gives this great sermon right in Solomon's portico. He gives it right in, in this outdoor courtyard. And he's got a crowd gathered of people that want to see what's going on and, and religious leaders that want to really get rid of him. And he says, it's not by our own personal holiness or piety. It's, not, it's not, not anything I did that got this man healed. But it is by the name of Jesus that he stands before you well today. So he right there is saying it's because of the name of Jesus that this man is healed. Now, when you read that, you might think it's because he used the name of Jesus, like he said it, right? So, you know, when I grew up uh, as a kid, I always knew, you know, demons are scared. The devil is scared of Jesus' name. So I just thought it was the sound you made that scared them. But listen, there were seven people in the book of Acts that used the name of Jesus and the devil didn't even quiver. It's not the sound that scares him. It's somebody who is standing in that authority of Jesus. You could say Jesus, you can say Jesus, you can say Yeshua, you can say it all different ways. It's not those syllables and vowels put together that makes devil, the devil scared. It is the authority of a believer who has the right to stand in that name and knows that right. So it's not just using the name. It's doing something in his name. So when Paul, later on, he, uh, he, there's a man in Lystra that can't walk. And it's very similar to the man at the gate called Beautiful. It's a similar miracle. Except this time, Paul tells him to get up. And he doesn't say in the name of Jesus, get up. He just says, get up. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is, was that man also healed in the name of Jesus? 
Did Paul do that in the name of Jesus? And I think across the board, we'd all say, yeah, he did. Whether he said it or not, he, that man was healed in the name of Jesus. That action was in the name of Jesus. So what is in the name of Jesus? It's more than a magic spell, a, a certain set of words that you put on a prayer that suddenly that prayer has power. Because listen, I can say in the name of Jesus, Lord, will you knock my neighbor down? Lord, will you cripple him in Jesus' name? Amen. And God doesn't go, he used the name. I can't, I got, I got to, I got to put that, I got to put his friend in a wheelchair. I can't, what can I do? Because that prayer, just because I said in the name of Jesus, that prayer was not in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus means on behalf of Jesus. Now, when you hear that, you might say, well, what right do any of us have to pray on his behalf? And I've got to tell you, he's the one that gave you the right. That's how he left us. He said, I'm giving you this. In my name, you're going to do all these things. In fact, you're not supposed to do anything that's not in his name. In my name, he doesn't say the apostles will do all these things in my name. He says, those who believe will do these things in my name. So he gave his name to his people. And, and, the, and the important thing to remember is, and if you read the book of Acts and you read the, the, the letters that came after, whatever God wants to do here, he wants to use people to do it. That's why we have to know that we are acting and praying and speaking in the name of Jesus because that's what he left us here to do. He, if he wanted to preach the gospel, he would have done that. He would have angels show up every night at Bud Miller at the amphitheater, put on a light show and, and preach a couple of messages and, and, and he could do that. If he wanted to come and pray for the sick, he would do that. But he told us to do that. He told us to preach the gospel. He told us to feed the poor. He told us to love the people, everybody that we come in contact with. And this is how we do it in his name. So when we do these things, it's Jesus doing these things through us. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Now, here's what I love about Colossians. Colossians is not a book written to super ministers, to super apostles, to, 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 to you know, big leaders. And when I, when I say big leaders, I'm, I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek. I'm talking about, you know, how sometimes we put certain people on a pedestal, like these are professional Christians and there's the rest of us peasants that get to clap for them. No, he's talking to believers. This letter is very practical, head in the clouds, feet on the ground. This is really hitting us where we live because this whole time, he hasn't just kind of given you vague concepts. He's told you exactly what it looks like. Remember, we just read how he told slaves to go to work, how he told people to treat their employers, how he told employees, employers to treat their employees. He told us how to treat our neighbors. He told us how to love each other. So he's telling you, he's not just saying, you know, you know when you're in church and you're going to pray, do it in the name of Jesus. He's saying, whatever you do in your life, do it in the name of Jesus. Do it as an ambassador of Jesus. Do it as a representative of Jesus. Do it for him, through him. And in his power, in his authority. So we've talked about this already, but the religious trap that we could fall in is, is only, only expecting the power of God, the life of God, the authority of Jesus to be relevant in, in super spiritual situations. When everyone has their eyes closed and their head bowed. That's when Jesus is allowed to walk in the room. Nobody can see him. Just shut your eyes, close your eyes. The scripture's telling us, no, guys, this is, this is, you go to work, you're supposed to expect this. Yeah. 
When you go to school, you're supposed to expect this. When you go to the mall, this is your reality. Whatever you're doing, do in the name of Jesus. And, and, and there's something that, that bothers the religiousness in us because we think that that makes Jesus somehow less glorified and exalted if I put him right in the middle of pumping my gas. Suddenly that's not exciting enough for Jesus. But you know, that's how God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus amongst the people, doing what people did, living the life we lived to show us. And, you know, Jesus didn't say, you know, everything I do on Sunday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., I do by, by his initiative. Every other time, I, I do my own thing, but that's God's time. He said, whatever I do, I don't do anything on my own initiative. Let me read that to you in John 5, and you know it well, but it's always good for us to reread these things, just so you know I'm not making stuff up. Right? In John 5, he's once, and there's, there's, there's two major places in John. There's more than two, but there's two that I like to go to where he's being challenged on who he is. And we get such a picture of who Jesus is by how he speaks of himself, by how he speaks to the Father. And uh, he says things like this in John 5, chapter 19. He said, truly, truly, literally, amen, amen. I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. He doesn't say, I won't do anything on my own. He says, I can't do anything on my own. I can't do anything of myself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner, for the father loves the son and he shows him all the things that he himself is doing and greater things than these will he show them that you may marvel. Now, when you read that, that's going to sound real familiar with other things that Jesus said to his disciples, except when he's talking to his disciples, he's talking about them. He says in John 15, you can't do anything apart from me, right? He says... Here he says, the reason I can do everything the Father tells me to do is because the Father loves me and he shows me everything that he is doing. Well, later on, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I don't call you slaves anymore. I'm going to call you friends. And the difference is a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I'm going to, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's going to show you all things. He says, everything the Spirit hears from the Father and the Son, he's going to tell you. Then he says, look what Jesus says, the father will show him greater works. Now remember, everything Jesus sees, he's going to do, right? So when Jesus says the father will show him greater works, he's also saying, I'm going to do greater works than these. Well, later on, Jesus said to his disciples, and greater works than these will you do because I go to the father and I send my spirit to you. So do you see the pattern? There's nothing in these section of verses that Jesus is saying about himself that he's not later going to say about you. Now, so he says, you can't do anything outside of me. That's a tough uh, uh, sentence to hear because we go, well, of course I can. I've been doing all sorts of things without you, God. I, I, maybe I just discovered or maybe, maybe I've been living uh, a Christian life, but there's a whole sorts of things that I do on my own that I don't really consult you about. So how can you say I can't do anything without you? And what he's saying is that should be your attitude, that there is nothing I can do That'll have any value, any life, any power outside of him. That doesn't mean you can't make the choice to try to live that way. 
You could, you could live the next 50 years without consulting God about anything. But that's not the life God designed for you. What if you were to live with the same determination that Jesus lived with? I can do nothing without him. I can do nothing unless he does it. Now he says, the father taught me. He says, the father shows me. Later on, he's going to say, the father taught me these things. In John 8, he talks about it. He says, I've been taught by the Father. I'm teaching you, but you can't hear it because you're not of the Father. You know, I'm from above, you're from below. And he's, he's talking to people that don't believe in him. He says, the Father's gonna teach me. He's, he's taught me all these things. It's an amazing thing to, to realize that Jesus was taught. And here he says, these are the things that need, you need to abide in me. In John 15, he says, you need to abide in me. My words will abide in you. My love's going to abide in you. So Jesus is saying, everything he said he needed from the Father. He said, I, I need his words, right? I, I, I need, he, he has to teach me. Whatever I do, I have to be taught by the Father. Now he says the same about you. I'm going to teach you everything. He says, I, he says, I know the Father loves me. Well, later in John 17, in fact, let's read that real quick. John 17, Jesus doesn't leave you out of that. He prays this and, and he, you know, I, I don't think he's praying wishfully. I don't think he's just hoping that this was true. I don't, I don't think he's saying this would be ideal. In a perfect world, this is the way it would be. He speaks as, as if it's, it's reality. And if Jesus spoke as if it's reality, it is reality. He said this in John 17, 6. He says, I have manifested, I have uncovered or revealed your name to the man whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, but you gave them to me. They've kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. Isn't that a powerful thought? Do you realize that every miracle Jesus did was by word? He never like squinted at something and it happened he never did you know the Jedi sweep <laughs> what I, I mean everything he you know the authority that he preached with and the authority that he healed with and the authority that he raised the dead with it was all with the words that he spoke and he says those words didn't come from me they came from the father that's why I had the right to say them. that's why I had the right to heal a blind man he says because the father wanted the blind man healed so Peter and John, when they heal a lame man, they're not going, I, I just didn't want to give up any cash. So I figured I didn't have any money on me, so we might as well heal this man. No. No, that's not why. They said we did it because of the name of Jesus. In other words, we did it because we knew that's what God wanted us to do. That's what Jesus would do if he were here. And he is here. So that's why we did it. What if you could live your life with that conviction? The problem is we're so plagued with self-doubt. Am I, is this from me or is this from God? Is this from me or is this from God? We spend most of our lives arguing that point that we argue ourselves out of God's will more often than not, wondering if we're doing it or not. Did that come from me? Did that come from God? And most of the time, if you really were to analyze it, you have this strong feeling, I'm supposed to go over to that person and ask them if they need prayer. Is that my idea? Is that God's idea? <laughs> right. Like before you came to Jesus, you just had an urge to go pray for random people. <laughs> you just couldn't help but bug strangers. That was you, right? <laughs> no, so we argue with ourselves that, that if we looked into his word, we'd have the answer. 
And that's one of the things I want you to see today, because remember in Colossians 3, before he says, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus, he starts out by saying, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So if you are letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, you are going to be marinated in the will of God. Because it's not just the words you learned, it's living in you. That doesn't mean you'll know his will all the time without consulting him. I mean, the word and the spirit are one. They go together. And so there's times, the Bible, there's no verse over whether I should drive to Edmonton tomorrow. There's no verse for whether I should buy that house or get that job or whether I should give this away. There's no verse for that. But I do have the spirit of God. And the spirit and the word will always go together. But there's a lot of stuff in that word that's going to set the core for what I do. I may not know how much I'm supposed to give away, but I know I'm supposed to give. I may not know exactly how I'm supposed to go out my day blessing the people around me, praying and loving people that I don't feel like loving. But I know I'm supposed to do that. And it sets you up. It sets you up to know you're walking in the name of Jesus. Like I said, how did Peter and John know what they were doing was according to his will, because they listened to what Jesus said. Jesus left them saying, this is what I want you to do. Because they watched him. They saw how he interacted with the world, and they said, that's what Jesus would do. I was playing a game with our son Moses, and uh, there was a point in, the, in this game where this lady doesn't have money, and she asks for money, and you have the option to give her the money or just to leave. And as far as I know, there's no punishment for leaving. You just get to leave, you know? I said, Moses, what do you think we should do? It's just a simple game where you're exploring the world. You're exploring, like, uh, you know, just walking around. But you have some money you can spend on some stuff. I said, Moses, what do you think you should do? And he goes, well, we should give her that money. I said, why? He goes, well, that's what Jesus would want us to do. She doesn't have money. We should give her money. I said, yeah, well, that's probably true. He said, well, because what would Jesus do, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know that too? I said, so, I, and so, you know, you, you get out of game mode and you get into dad mode. And, and I said, I said, Mo, do you ask yourself that a lot? What would Jesus do? And he goes, no, I don't say it out loud. He goes, <laughs> he goes but I think about it all the time. And I just thought, wow, I want, I mean, you want to take, you want to take that and you want to say, Lord, restore that in me. Yeah. You know, he, he just thought it was a silly question. Like, my friends will think I'm crazy if I constantly say things like that. Not. <laughs> he said, but I think about it all the time. And uh, that question, what would Jesus do, is not an abstract uh, mental exercise. It's not something you need to figure out by putting clues together. It's some, this is the reason you have his spirit. You can't know the will of God until you, you can't know the will of Christ until you have the heart of Christ, right? See, he spent the whole chapter telling you that you have a new self that's been created in the likeness of God. You have a spirit that was given to you. You have the word which was entrusted to you that's supposed to richly dwell in you. And if that weren't enough, you have a bunch of people around you that you're supposed to encourage and they encourage you by admonishing and teaching one another and singing to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, all of that stuff is leading you to a place where you are more fully aware of the will of God because the word of Christ is richly dwelling in me, because I know who I am in, God, in Christ, 
because I have his word, because I have his love, because I've put on a heart, like he said, put on a heart of compassion, put on a heart of kindness, of love, beyond all these things, put on love. He's telling you to put these things on. And when you put those things on, you know whatever comes out of those things and it's united with his word and it's united with the power of his spirit and it's in his name. You know that you're walking in the name of Jesus. You know that you're praying in the name of Jesus. Like I said, just random prayers where you slap in the name of Jesus at the end. There's no power in that unless you knew what I'm praying is what God wants. Yeah. Not what I want, but what God wants. That's why I say in the name of Jesus because he left me here to do his work. I can't do his work without his authority, can I? Would you, would, you, would you leave someone in charge of your business who had no right to make any decisions? No access to any company finances? No, no, not even the authority to answer the phone? What would be the point of leaving that person there, right? If you're leaving them there and you trust them, and you're giving them the, the, the company card, and you're giving them, now maybe not all of you would give someone the company card, but let's imagine it's somebody that you did, because I got to believe that leaving his disciples with a name that was going to heal, paralyzed people is a lot better than a credit card, right? He said, if you ask the Father anything in my name, I'll do it. He'll do it. So that's, that's a pretty big firepower right there. Now, if you're going to leave them there, you wouldn't leave them without the authority and the responsibility and the power to act as if you were still there. That's why you can leave in peace. You all know what it's like. Well, maybe you don't all know what it's like, but lots of you know what it's like to leave, whether you're leaving your kids for the first time or you're leaving employees and you're trying to go away and have a relaxing day away or a relaxing week away. And have you ever gone away and you really don't trust who you left in charge? That's not a vacation. That's just stress. But when you can leave and you know I have given them all they need to keep this thing going. I've given them all they need to, to do what, I've, what I would do if I were there. Boy, isn't that the best when you can feel like they're, they're going to do what I would do as if I were there. Then you don't feel guilty for leaving. Because you did a good job training somebody. Well, you know, I think Jesus in John 17 is saying to the Father... We did a good job training these people. And that's why I'm okay leaving them. He, doesn't, he says, and he goes on to say in the same prayer, Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Yeah. He goes on and he says, the words you gave me, I gave them. The love with which you loved me, I've loved them. The authority that you sent me with, as you sent me, I've sent them. So Jesus says, every card I had, I gave to them. Every right I had to get up and preach, I've given to them. Every bit of authority I had. Remember when he would preach the, the religious leaders, all the people would go, whoa, how does he speak with such authority? They didn't say, look how much he knows. They didn't say, wow, he, he's memorized a lot of scriptures. They said, whoa, he speaks with authority. They understood that there was something about the way he talked and that it was more than just words. You know, as Paul said, the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words. It's a kingdom of power. So they heard it. They could hear it. They could feel the, there was authority in what he said. And that was because he says, he, he, he explains it to them every time he gets the chance. He says, that's because I'm not saying my own thing. In John 5, he says this. He says, he says uh, the authority to, to, to judge has been given to me. And he says, you can know this. 
whatever I hear from God, I'm going to judge. And you know that my judgment is true because I don't speak on my own initiative. I don't seek my own initiative. I seek the, the will of my Father. Now, that's a powerful statement. What he's saying is, is that there's two parts to hearing from God. There's the hearing and then there's the judging. If you were to receive a word from the Lord, now you are receiving a word from the Lord. That's why we opened our Bibles. But let's say someone came up to you and said, I believe that, that God wants me to say this to you. Or I believe I've got a scripture for you that you need to hear. You, hearing it, it's only half the battle, isn't it? You got to know what that means for you. What, what am I supposed to do with that? Before anything, was that actually from God? Right? Because not everybody who says I got a word from you has a word from God for you. We've all experienced that. So first thing you got to judge is, was that from God? Second thing, even if it's from God, listen, in the book of Acts, Agabus the prophet told, you know, put his belt around Paul and said, this is what's going to happen if you go to Jerusalem. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be led away. And everybody except for Paul heard that and said, that's God saying, don't go. But Paul said, no, that's God confirming what I already knew, that bonds and afflictions await me when I go. He already told me about this. He's just confirming it. So you see, they all heard the same prophecy, but they had two completely opposite interpretations of it. Hearing is one thing, judging is another. And Jesus says, the reason you can trust my judgment of what I hear is because I'm not seeking my own will, but I'm seeking his will. So one of my uh, mentors said to me this way, he said, only the unbiased can truly know the will of God. Now, here's the problem. None of us are unbiased, right? Who here is unbiased in almost any issue? The only thing you're unbiased about are the things you don't care about, right? If you don't care about tennis, you're probably pretty unbiased about tennis. But everything else, I mean, if you've got an interest in it, if, it, if you care about it in the least, you've got a bias. So how do I surrender that bias to God? See, if I'm praying, Lord, should I stay in Lloydminster or should we move? I guarantee when you pray that prayer, as much as you say, Lord, we want your will, what a, a prayer like that, you always have one of those things that you're hoping God's going to say. Right? <laughs> now, I'm not going to tell you what, what, your, what your bias would have been. I don't know. You might love Lloydminster. You might say, why am I still here? I don't know. But we all have a bias going in there. So, we, we, you know, we say, Lord, I... I want to know because I want to walk in your name. I want to act in your name. I want our life to be, I want, everything I do, I want to do in the name of Jesus. So in order to do something in your name, I have to know your will. So God, what is your will? How do I leave my bias at the feet of Jesus? First of all, just admitting it and saying, God, I have bias here, but I want you to speak clearly. I'm, I'm, I'm laying down my bias. And we have a scriptural precedent for that because Jesus himself in the garden said, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, let's do that. If there is plan B, let's take plan B. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. You saying, not my will, but yours be done. That's, that's, that's not a problem for God. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. If you can say, not my will, but yours be done. And then you've let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You've let other people speak to you and you've sung with them and they've taught you and you've taught them and, and you've got that counsel of other people that have brought wisdom to you and life to you. If, you've, if you have truly let your heart be thankful in every situation, you find a reason to be thankful. 
then you're going to find it's a lot easier to surrender your will to God and to know his will, to be able to say, everything I do, I'm going to do in the name of Jesus. That job I'm taking, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. I'm going to parent my kids in the name of Jesus. I'm going to love my spouse in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be a friend to my friends in the name of Jesus. I'm going to be a friend to my enemies in the name of Jesus. I'm going to forgive in the name of Jesus. I'm going to go out just today not knowing what's going to happen in the name of Jesus. And it sounds like a lot of responsibility to say, listen, I didn't want to be a representative for Jesus all the time. I can't handle that kind of pressure. A lot of us feel that way, right? I, I, I don't want to represent Jesus because I'm not perfect. Do you realize he did not ask one perfect person to represent him? He had not one in his disciples. Every one of them. Every one of them except for John ran away when he was arrested. I mean, Peter hung on for a little bit. And then just dramatically fell. Every one of them. And that was in the first like 24 hours of him not being around. He wasn't even dead yet. One of them, one of the disciples, and and this might have been John. One of the disciples ran out of the garden and somebody caught his garment. And he just kept running and he ran naked right out of his own clothes just to get away from them. So if you think you're a wimp, you're in good company, you know. So this, this idea that, I, well, don't look at me, just look at Jesus. How are they supposed to look at Jesus if they can't look at you? I understand the sentiment. And I would say that too. I'm not, I'm not the Messiah here. You would say that too. You listen, I can't be your only, I, I can't be the one you look to instead of Jesus. No, don't say you're, you're, don't ask anyone to look at you instead of Jesus. You're not replacing Jesus, but they're supposed to see Jesus in you. Sometimes that's really clearly shown when you do mess up and you do repent and you get back up again. You show them this is what a believer does. What would a life lived in the will of God in the name of Jesus look like? Your prayer life would be significantly more powerful because you're not going to pray prayers that you shouldn't pray. Right? (laughs) That's a weird thought. Didn't know there were prayers we shouldn't pray, but Paul says there are times when I don't know how to pray. It's a good thing to admit I don't know how to pray. What does he mean? He doesn't mean no one taught me how to start and end a prayer. He doesn't mean I don't understand the theory of prayer. He's saying there are times where I don't know the will of God in this situation, so I don't know how to pray because I've been taught to pray the word of God and the will of God, and this situation is unclear. Well, in Romans 8, he says when that happens, the Spirit prays through us. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Because he says the Spirit prays out the perfect will of God. In 1 Corinthians, he says the Spirit searches out the heart of God, even the depth of God. So listen, I know that sometimes we just feel like we've got no right to stand on behalf of Jesus. But if you won't do it, who's going to? We'll say, well, those guys that, that are on TV, they can do it. Yeah, but they're only part of the body. And Jesus doesn't want to just be a pair of lips like the Rolling Stones, you know, just, just <laughs> blabbering on to people. He's got to be a whole body. Yeah. Have you ever considered that, that if just the evangelists were the only voice that people heard of Jesus, if they were the only part of Jesus that people heard, that people would not have a full view of who Jesus was? 
If they only heard the prophets, if they only heard the teachers, they would not fully be seeing Jesus. Jesus wants to be in this city and he wants people to see all of him. And we're all a different part of that body. So people have got to see you. You've got to be part of that. We're here on behalf of Jesus. We're here in his name. So praying in the name of Jesus isn't about putting the right words at the end. It's about praying on his behalf with his authority. See, God never told you, God never sent you on any missions without the authority. I've told you this before, but the kingdom of God is a family business. So Jesus tells parables about a father sending his son on his behalf to invite people to a feast or sending his son out to do his business. We were called into father and son's business here. Sons and daughters of the living God in his business to, as he says, occupy until I come, or literally in the Greek, do business until I come. Scripture talks about God's, it talks about the administration of God, but literally it's the word that we get the word economy from. It's how God runs this whole thing. We're supposed to be part of his administration. We're supposed to show the world the wisdom of God. We're supposed to show even, even powers that, that are not of this world, the rulers and princes and rulers, all these things. They're supposed to know the wisdom of God through the church. The church is supposed to demonstrate this. Well, if the church is going to demonstrate this, first of all, we, we've got to lay down our will and pick up his. Second, we've got to really let his word dwell within us so that we know, hey, why do I have authority to do this? Why do I have the initiative to do this? Because the Father taught me to do this. Because Jesus taught us to do this. When I say, what would Jesus do? It's, it's not just a, well, if Jesus were here 2,000 years later, not, not dressed in that garb, would he go to a... Would he go to a hockey game? I don't know if he would, you know? I mean, of course he would. I don't know if he'd go to an Oilers game, but he'd go to some game. I like the Oilers. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. It's hard to be a fan. That's why I picked them. But how would he go to that game? Right? How would he behave in that game? Most of us go, well, there's no way I can ever have any fun thinking that way. <laughs> Don't you think Jesus did have fun? Right, on. right? Like, he's the guy that created us. Yep. He created us to laugh. He created us to dance. He created us to celebrate. He created us to feast. Every time God wanted his people to remember something, he says, throw a party. You'll remember things when you throw a party. <laughs> now, you'll remember things when you throw a party God's way. <laughs> when the world throws a party, they don't remember anything. But he says, you want to remember what I did in Egypt? Let's have a feast every year. You want to remember what I, how I've given you grain every year? Let's, let's do a feast about this. So absolutely, we have got to take Jesus' name out of a select few spiritual moments and put it into every area of life. What if you said like Jesus, I can't do anything. I can't do anything unless he tells me to do it. Now, I've known people that say that like, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, can you help me shovel this sidewalk so that, so that people can get into church? I'll pray about it, Pastor. Like, come on. <laughs> That's why you need the word of Christ to richly dwell within you. Because there's some decisions you should just know that's God's will. There's an old lady needs help across the street. You don't need, uh, you don't need to join hands with your neighbor and figure out if that's God's will. Go help them. Of course you should. 
Live in the name of Jesus. Live with the authority. Live with confidence in his name. And guys, if you are paralyzed by the thought, what if I do something wrong? Then the enemy has already got his way. When your kids start to walk and they fall down, you don't yell at them. You're not disappointed in them. You're very happy they're learning to walk. When your kid, like David McGrew said at the minister's conference, when your 15-year-old daughter fixes you a supper, that's the first time she's fixed the family meal, she, or your son, 15-year-old son, come on, whichever one, and they fix you this meal and you eat it, you don't critique it and go, whoa, you know, you should have let this roast longer. No, you, you, you praise them. You say, this is wonderful. This is great. Why? Because you're happy that they're taking steps. They're going forward. I believe the father is pleased when his kids start to believe that they're there for a purpose and they start taking steps to go, I'm going to do it in his name. And listen, that's why we have these people around us. That's why we have leaders. That's why we have brothers and sisters around us so that when we do the wrong thing, we can be helped in those moments. Like it's not the end of the world. There's a net. You know what I'm saying? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Then he says at the very end, everything you do in word or deed, what if every, every thing you said to, to each other, what if you had to add in the name of Jesus to the end of it? You know what I'm saying? Like what if everything you said to each other, you were consciously thinking in the name of Jesus I'm saying this. Well then all of that stuff that he told you to put away earlier, that malice, that wrath, that that strife, that anger, all of that, that would have no place because you don't feel you'd have a right to say that and say in the name of Jesus. And listen to the end of it and be thankful. Be thankful. Say in everything, do everything in the name of Jesus, whether word or deed, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Earlier, right as we started to read this, he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. I mean, he's talking about church unity. And if you could be thankful, you'd have a lot, lot less to be, to be fighting about. Right? James says most of the time we're fighting over things we wish we had that someone else has. Or we wish that we were doing that they're doing. And he says, if you're thankful, that's not a problem for you. He says, if you're thankful for them, even the people that cause you trouble, if you are thankful for them, it's going to get rid of all that poison in your heart and your soul that's, that's keeping you from the true unity of the faith. You, you just have to learn that thankfulness is not something that happens when you are overwhelmed with good feelings and emotions. Thankfulness is something I choose. Right? We're not as, we're not as sure about that. That's cool. Um, a lot of people say I'm so thankful because they're overwhelmed with feelings of gratitude because somebody was just so good to them but when I see thankfulness in the scripture there's a lot of times I don't think the person who wrote it had any right to feel thankful I mean you look at the guy that wrote this at the end of his life most of the people left him people backstabbed him betrayed him he could be a very bitter old man writing these letters instead He's thankful. He says to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I think of you. If you think there were a perfect church, you are mistaken. But he found a way to be thankful every time he thought of them. 
Who do you have in your life that you can be thankful every time they come up in your mind? What if, there were, what if that, that group of people were expanded to everybody God put in your life, whether or not they always do nice things to you, whether or not they always make you feel fuzzy, what if you could be thankful for them anyways? Choose Thanksgiving. Here's what I'm saying to you. Nothing in your life, nothing in your life, no, no, no feeling that you have to entertain, no thought that you have to, to, to process through, nothing in your life has to be accidental. You're going to have thoughts and feelings that, that you have to go, that's not of God. I'm not going to spend my time on that. I'm not going to, you know, I may have to deal with I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to have to deal with it, but I'm not going to give it validity. When you feel that anger, when you feel that malice, when you feel that jealousy, you don't have to give in to that. That doesn't have to rule your life. Instead, choose his way. And when we do, we can say, I'm doing this in his name. Whatever I do, whatever I say, and whatever I do, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. And you know, there's nothing you do in the name of Jesus that doesn't have power. Yeah. Right? What if the power of God showed up in the places you didn't expect the power of God to show up in? What if the anointing was more than just something we have for a service? What if the anointing was for life? What if you could go through life saying, the Spirit of God has anointed me. He is upon me, for He has anointed me to do this. I believe that's what God wants. So let's let God do that. Let's, let's, let's agree that whatever we do this week, whatever we say this week, we're going to do it in the name of Jesus. Stand up with me.